time to rest. Right, I want us to use our imaginations this morning. I want you to imagine a high street, right? But not a typical British high street, right? Not Bexley High Street. Our high streets are wide, aren't they? Between each side of the shops, you've got 60, uh, 50, 60 foot. There's plenty of room. I want you to imagine an ancient high street, the, a street you'd find in the Middle East, where the streets are narrow and the shops are tightly packed together and the air is thick with the sound of people um, and animals. All right? And if you want to get anywhere, well, it's a bit like the West End at Christmas. You, you've got to push past people. It's a struggle. I want you to imagine you're in ancient Jericho. It's warm, it's hot, it's dusty. Jericho was always a crowded city, but today it's even more crowded. Because a celebrity has arrived. This celebrity, his name is one we're familiar with, it's Jesus. And the whole city of Jericho has come out to see, to glimpse this man. And this teacher, this rabbi, this famous chap Jesus, he hasn't come alone. In fact, as he passes through the city, he's got a huge crowd of followers with him. And there are three types of people in this crowd, right? The first group of people, he's got 12 officers, 12 bodyguards, if you like. They look after him. They surround him. They're known as his apostles. They're Jesus' closest friend, his inner, uh, friends, his inner, inner circle. So that's the first group. With them also is a large group of women. They travel around everywhere with Jesus. And these women love Jesus. They feed him. Uh, they, they sort out his itinerary. So if he's going to go to a, a new city, they, they prepare things for him. They organise places for him to stay. And so there's this big group of, of ladies who follow Jesus around. As well as that, there's another group of people, a large group of people. They're following Jesus because they claim that he's healed them from their diseases. And once he healed them, they've pledged their allegiance to him. And now they follow him everywhere he goes. In fact, as he entered the city, as we just found out, he just healed a guy called Bartimaeus. And everyone knew this blind beggar. They used to pass him on the street every day. And he'd met Jesus, and suddenly he can see. And now he's joined the crowd too. And so the word has spread. Jesus, the teacher, the miracle worker, the king, is in town. And he's got a small army marching behind him. And so you can imagine the excitement, the buzz. It, everyone's expecting wonderful, amazing things to happen. Jesus is passing through Jericho, but where is he going? Well, he's on his way to Jerusalem. And people think he's going to Jerusalem because he's going to start a revolution. They're calling him Messiah, anointed one king they're calling him savior and so they think when he gets to jerusalem he's going to deliver the jews from the grip of the romans the romans were bullies um they they enslaved the jewish people they put a puppet king on the throne king herod and they think jesus is going to get to jerusalem and he's going to wipe the romans out perhaps like elijah he's going to call fire down from heaven and burn them up 
And then he's going to reign supreme in Jerusalem. The Romans are going to be done for. Or maybe they think Jesus is going to just bring about the end of the world. They've been reading about the end of the world in the Old Testament. And maybe Jesus is the man who's going to do it. Soon as he gets to Jerusalem, everything's over. So imagine the excitement. Here comes Jesus walking through the narrow streets of Jerusalem, uh, sorry, of Jericho. And there are people everywhere. They're packed in tight. Children are hoisted on parents' shoulders, a bit like last week. People are standing on tiptoe. Where is he? Can you see him? Where's the celebrity? What's he going to do? So we've imagined that scene. Now, I want you to imagine a scene from a Where's Wally book, right? We've all seen Where's Wally. Faces, robes, market stalls. All packed in. Thousands of faces. But just off-centre, on the corner of this busy high street, is a tree. A sycamore tree. And in this sycamore tree, at the bottom, there's loads of little kids like you, Lord. They've been shoved up there by their, by their parents, right? They want to see Jesus. So they, they shove the kids up into the sycamore tree. But hang on. There's somebody else in that tree. There's a man in that tree. Not a young man. There's, there's an old man in that tree. A man with a beard and expensive clothes. And he's climbed higher. He's climbed high into the sycamore tree. He's higher than all the other little kids. Do you remember the old Sunday school song? Zacchaeus was a very little man, and a very little man was he. He climbed up into a sycamore tree for the saviour he wanted to see. Who was this odd little man sitting in a tree? We'll find out after our next hymn. Our next hymn is hymn number 812, 812. Eight hundred and twelve, facing a task unfinished that drives us to our knees, a need that undiminished rebukes our slothful ease. Oh, 
Jesus died and rose, as is the same commission, the same glad message ours, by by the same ambition to you. title of this sermon is Zacchaeus 4321. You'll find out why later. Um, <clears throat> point number one, here's the four, right? Luke tells us four things about this guy Zacchaeus who's sat in a tree. First thing he tells us is that Zacchaeus was a tax collector. Now, my dad, once upon a time, was a tax collector. He worked for the Inland Revenue And his job, as far as I could work out, involved filling out forms and sending out letters and keeping files up to date. Um, Now, there's nothing too threatening, I don't think, about a contemporary tax collector, is there? They're civil servants who wear grey suits and they like maths, if they're like my dad. But we have to understand that tax collectors in Jesus' day were anything but civil Tax collectors in Jesus' day were crooks and thugs. Tax collectors in the first century were self-employed men. And their aim was to extract as much money from people as they possibly could. And they get their money from people through intimidation, violence and threats. They were the equivalent today of gangsters, right? Not only were they gangsters, but they were traitors, They were collecting tax on behalf of the Romans. Romans, foreign bullies, who occupied and oppressed the Jewish people. And so tax collectors were Jews who'd sided with the enemy. They turned on their own countrymen. They were doing the Romans' dirty work for them. These were men who thought that money trumped everything else. Being rich was the most important thing to these men. Because, of course, once you'd given the Romans what they wanted, as far as tax was concerned, the tax collector could keep everything that was left over. So they'd squeeze every last penny from the local population, knowing that it would go straight into their bank account. They were Jewish men fleecing fellow Jews. Tax collectors valued money above everything else. They valued it above popularity, because they weren't popular. 
above loyalty and above all gods. Because remember, if you're a Jew, to side with Israel's enemies would mean that you ceremonially defile yourself. Jews and Gentiles weren't allowed to spend time with each other. And here's the tax collectors, and they're constantly mixing with Gentile Romans. So as, as far as their religion was concerned, they were on the outside. They'd become unclean. They were godless men. So this is who this man Zacchaeus was sitting in the tree. Second thing we're told about Zacchaeus was that he was good at his job. In verse 2, we're told that he was the chief tax collector. Or another way of saying it would be the ruling tax collector. So this guy wasn't an entry-level thug. All right, He wasn't a low-level gangster. This guy was the Don. He was the godfather. The top tax collector in all of Jericho and the surrounding area. You can't kind of imagine him sitting in a plush leather chair with his big fat gold rings and a nice juicy cigar in his hands. And Zacchaeus was in control. He was the puppet master. His thugs would report to him. He'd give the other tax collectors orders, go and rough up the market tradesmen, go and rough up the shop owners, get the money from them. I imagine he had a, a, a good uh, memory and a keen eye. He could spot when one of the locals had come into a bit of money. So old Auntie Edna's died and left you a bit of cash. Oh, oh we'll have some of that, he thinks. He remembered who owed what. And if you were late paying, well, then your interest rate would go up and up and up. Therefore, as you know, the local population would have hated Zacchaeus. But at the same time, they were terrified of him. If you crossed him, if he didn't get what he wanted, he had the authority to have the Romans crucify you outside the city gates. So Zacchaeus was good at his job. Luke tells us he was so good he'd become wealthy. He wanted for nothing. He wore the best clothes and he ate the best food. Third thing we're told about Zacchaeus is that he was short. Now, this is a small detail, excuse the pun, but I think it's a bit chilling. I was in a lift recently, right, and the doors opened, and in walked a guy, he was six foot seven, and he was wide as well, he was massive. His head basically touched the top of the lift, this is how big he was. He was big, muscular, broad shoulders, and the little old lady in the, in the lift, she asked his girlfriend, what have you been feeding him? <laughs> This guy filled the lift. He was intimidating. Now, I'm six foot one. Normally, I'm one of the tallest people in the room. But this guy, well, now I'm, I'm in the lift with him, and I, I feel, like, minuscule. I'm looking up, and I'm intimidated. This guy's peering down at me. I feel weak. I feel threatened. This guy could have crushed me if he chose to. But think about it. Zacchaeus couldn't do that. He couldn't dominate people physically. In fact, he's so short, Luke says, that he couldn't even jump over people's heads. He couldn't even see Jesus that way. Which means all the power he had, all the control he had, had not come through his physical might. But it had been won through ruthless determination. Zacchaeus had been more domineering, more cunning and more cruel than all of his tax collecting peers. Perhaps he had small man syndrome. You meet some short men, don't you? And they've kind of got a chip on their shoulder. They've, they've, got, they've got something against the universe. They've got something to prove. 
They can't intimidate people physically, so they do it psychologically and emotionally. Maybe that was Zacchaeus. He was a little bundle of rage. Zacchaeus, as the song says, was a very little man. A very little man was he. Fourth thing we learn about Zacchaeus. Verse 3. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowds. Notice Luke tells us it wasn't that he wanted to just see Jesus. He wanted to see who Jesus was. Zacchaeus expected that on seeing Jesus, he'd be able to figure him out. He'd, come, he'd be able to come to some sort of conclusion about him. I've already said, I think Zacchaeus was probably was good at weighing people up, good at working people out. He could tell when people were lying to him. He was good at spying on people. He'd been doing it all of his career. He observed people so he could extort money from them. But now something inside Zacchaeus had stirred him to want to investigate this man Jesus, this holy man. And of course, looking at Zacchaeus, you'd have no idea that something inside him had changed. He looked like a gangster. He was scary and intimidating. So why? Why has this top mobster suddenly become obsessed with this teacher, this rabbi? Well, the truth is, God had begun to work in Zacchaeus' heart, hadn't he? In this most unlikely of characters, God had started to move. Now, when you were at school, uh, maybe you're still at school, did you ever have a kid who'd sit behind you and just poke you? And just keep poking you? And they want you to turn around. Maybe you were that kid doing the poking. Well, that is what God does to people's minds and their hearts. He pokes them. And he prods them and he goads them so that they start thinking about Jesus. In fact, Jesus says to Saul on the road to Emmaus, how long will you ignore me goading you? How long will you ignore me poking you? Okay, so we've had four things about Zacchaeus. Three, three ways God pokes people. Three ways God makes people think or look for Jesus. So the first way God makes people look for Jesus is through curiosity. So imagine, let's think about Zacchaeus before this day. He's probably been hearing rumours about Jesus for a couple of years. You can imagine travelling salesmen uh, sharing tales from afar down at the local tavern. So here's a, a guy and he says, you'll never guess what I saw up in Galilee last week. There was this carpenter. And he made a lame man walk. And of course, no one believes these early reports. It's just a guy in a pub telling tales. But as time goes on, more and more people enter Jericho and they've all got the same story. There's this man up north who can do amazing things. He's channeling the power of God. The blind see, the lame walk, the dead are brought back to life. And he feeds people, the masses are fed. And the way this guy preaches, you've never heard anything like it. And so Zacchaeus is curious. And he's got a ton of questions. Is this man really from God? Could this be the Messiah we've all been waiting for? Does he really do miracles? Or is he a trickster? 
Zacchaeus thinks. Is he a con man? And why are so many people so loyal to him? Zacchaeus has heard people say that they love this man. He's heard of people whose lives have been drastically changed on meeting this guy. And Zacchaeus wants to know more. He's curious. And if he can just see Jesus walking by, if he can just get a glimpse, well then perhaps he'll get some answers. Some people go through life never asking any questions, don't they? They just accept everything that's fed to them, either at school or at uni or through the media. They never want to dig any deeper into anything. And I think that's a shame. I hope you're not like that this morning. I hope you've got an inquiring mind. Question everything. And I hope that you've got questions about this man, Jesus. Have you ever stopped to consider him? Was he really God's son? Was his cold, dead body really taken from a cross and placed in a tomb? And then did he really come back to life? Why is it that nearly all of Jesus' friends went to their deaths maintaining that they'd seen this man rise from the dead? And why is Jesus so influential? How is it that the birth of this Jewish peasant is the thing that determines today's date. Have you ever thought about that? How is this 33-year-old man who died like a criminal, how has he attracted people from every nation and every language and every ethnicity and every culture through every age? Why is it that people from all over the world throughout every century have devoted their lives to this man and his followers? Why do people love Jesus so much what is it about him who is he well look these are questions you need to ask yourself before it's too late second way God stirs people into searching for Jesus is by making them miserable people often come to Christ because they're not happy perhaps that was Zacchaeus's problem he had everything he could have wished for didn't he money influence and power he could push people around he could get what he wanted he'd reached the very top of his profession but maybe when he got to the top he realised there was nothing up there the thing he was aiming for simply didn't deliver and no doubt Zacchaeus cut a lonely figure no one liked tax collectors they were despised Zacchaeus would have had lackeys, he would have had people who licked his boots, said yes to everything he said, oh we love you Zacchaeus, aren't you great? But he probably didn't have any real friends. But then what does he hear? Well he hears something strange. There's this northern rabbi and lots of the people who follow him are former tax collectors. Remember, the religious leaders of the day, the scribes and the Pharisees and the priests, they wouldn't touch a tax collector with a barge pole. All right? They wouldn't be caught dead with one. They were unclean, dirty men, sinful, godless thugs, traitors. But this Jesus fellow, he sits down and he eats with tax collectors. He's got a ton of tax collector friends. In fact, one of his inner circle, one of his disciples used to be a tax collector. Matthew, or Levi as he's known, 
had been sitting at his tax collecting booth one day and Jesus had said, Oi, you, follow me. And Levi had followed him. Perhaps Zacchaeus had even done business with Levi in the past. Perhaps they knew each other. And now when he sees Levi, well, this guy's happy and content. He's following this guy around and he's surrounded by a group of people who accept Levi and they all love each other. What's that about, thinks Zacchaeus? How can I get some of that? Well, friends, are you happy this morning? Are you content with the way your life's turning out? Are you at peace within yourself? I mean, you should be, right? After all, we live in Britain. This is a free country. You're free to do what you want and live how you like. You can pursue all of the things that society says will bring you joy. So why aren't you happy? Why is it that you spend a lot of time complaining? Why is it that some of the happiest, contentest people in life you know are followers of Jesus? Well, friend, look, you need Jesus. He's the only person who's going to bring you lasting joy and spiritual peace. Third way God gets people to look for Jesus is through their conscience. Now, everyone has a conscience, but most people have put theirs to sleep. But sometimes God wakes a person's conscience up. And they start to think about all the rotten things they've done over the years. And then they start to feel shame. And then they start to feel a bit dirty. And they've got an overriding desire that they need to to turn over a new leaf and start again. That They feel like they need to be a better person. Well, perhaps with Zacchaeus, the bad stuff he used to do didn't bother him. After all, it was survival of the fittest. If I want to be the best tax collector, well, why shouldn't I be? But now as he looks back on his actions, he begins to feel guilty and uncomfortable. God wakes people's consciences up, doesn't he? Ironically, it's the conscience that keeps people up at night. They start to feel the burden of the rotten things they thought and said and done. And then before long, that guilt turns to fear. Because you know that one day you're going to die and you'll pay for the things you've done. Well, look, let me ask you this morning, do you like the person you really are? Not the person you present on Facebook or Instagram or TikTok. Not the chipped, polished person your work colleagues see, but the real you. Would you want your friends and family to know the things that go on in your heads? Would you want them to see your rap sheet? All those dirty little secrets you've got? And is your conscience awake? Are you embarrassed about the way you've treated people? in the past are you ashamed of the way you've treated gods Zacchaeus though hears that this man Jesus offers forgiveness he tells people that there's a way to change there's a way to get right with God there's a way to have that guilt and that sin removed and it's by pledging allegiance to this king King Jesus now look we don't know what set Zacchaeus off Um, in his search for Jesus maybe it was curiosity 
Maybe it was sadness, maybe it was conscience, maybe it was a combination of all three. But we do know that Zacchaeus was serious about getting answers. Verse 4, so he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. He's so serious, he climbs up a tree. He probably, as, as I said earlier, had to climb over little kids. And no doubt the people of Jericho smirked as they saw this intimidating mafia boss hitch up his robe and start running to this tree. And then he's climbing past the kids. What's gotten into him? What's wrong with him? Zacchaeus realised that this could be his last chance to get a glimpse of Jesus. Well, friends, look, you need to be serious about searching for Christ. I can't impress, impress that on you enough. You've got to call out to him so that he saves you from your sin because your sin is going to send you to hell. Don't waste the chance you have this very morning as Jesus passes by. So there's Zacchaeus, he's in the tree. He's hoping to see this famous preacher. We're not sure what Zacchaeus expected to learn from seeing Jesus face to face. Does he look like a king? Does he look wise? Is he kind? How does he dress? Maybe he thought he'd get a glimpse of the same thing Zacchaeus saw. Sorry, Levi saw. He hopes that he'll see something that explains the attraction. He'd find out what all the fuss is about. Zacchaeus, though, thought that the best he could achieve was a quick glimpse of this celebrity, didn't he? Oh, but if only you could talk to him. If only you could meet him face to face. Even today, people love meeting celebrities, don't they? You see people and they put on Facebook, oh, I've got a selfie with this football player, or I met Philip Schofield at the airport once, I told everyone. If only Zacchaeus could rub shoulders with that rabbi. But of course, there's no way that's going to happen, is there? Jesus is a popular man. He's a busy man. He's going through Jericho. There's no way he's going to single out this odious little crook and spend time with him. After all, this guy's one of the worst people in the whole of Jericho. Look at verse 5. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. Zacchaeus must have been gobsmacked, mustn't he? How did Jesus know his name? And if he'd never met him, how did he recognise him? How did he know he was up in a tree? But he calls him by name. He says, hurry down from the tree. Well, look, friends, this morning, Jesus knows your name. And what he says to Zacchaeus, he says to you this morning... Hurry, don't stay up in your tree, but come and meet Jesus. Don't waste any more time. There are some of you here this morning, and you keep putting Jesus off. He was poking you ten years ago, but you ignored him. You stayed in your tree. Five years ago, he prodded you again, but you let him walk past. God's been working away at your conscience, but up until now, you've ignored him. Jesus says, hurry down to him. You don't have time to mess about. And Jesus offers Zacchaeus real friendship, doesn't he? He says, I must come to your house, he tells him. And in the ancient world, that meant that they would share a meal together. Imagine, here's Jesus, the son of God. He's holy and wonderful and, and amazing. And he says to this wicked, rather unpleasant man, 
I want to stay with you. I want to be your friends. What love, what generosity. Verse 6, so he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. This was the last thing anyone expected. And you can imagine the shock on the people's faces, can't you? Of all the people in Jericho, why does this man get to spend time with a celebrity? It doesn't seem fair, does it? There were plenty of people in Jericho who hadn't robbed and oppressed their neighbours. There were plenty of people who didn't work for the Romans, who weren't traitors. People who weren't obsessed with money. Why couldn't Jesus favour them? What's wrong with him? In fact, look at verse 7. All the people saw this and began to complain. He's gone to be the guest of a sinner. The people can't believe it. Well, we've learned four things about Zacchaeus. Three ways God stirs people. Now look at the two promises that come from the lips of Zacchaeus. Look what happens to this wicked, vindictive bully after a sit-down meal with a king. Verse 8. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, here's the first promise, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. In that meal, something miraculous had happened to Zacchaeus, hadn't it? He'd been completely transformed. He'd had a heart change. Here's a man who'd spent the last few decades addicted to making money. And in order to get money, he trampled over all the peasants in Jericho, even his own friends and family probably. He'd squeezed every last penny out of them. But now he says, my wealth is not the be-all and end-all. I don't need half of this stuff, so I'm going to give it away to the poor. He'd oppressed the poor, but now he loves them. And here's the second promise. If I've cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay back four times the amount. So Gears says, I'm going to make amends. I'm not just going to say I've turned over a new leaf. That's easy, isn't it? I'm actually going to do it. I'm going to prove it. And remember the grumbling crowd. What have they said? Why has Jesus gone to dinner with him? He's a sinner. Well, Jesus doesn't leave him a sinner, does he? He makes him a new creature. He gives Zacchaeus a new heart. And Jesus won't leave you in your distress if you come down from your tree to meet with him this morning. He won't leave you with your guilt and your sadness and your fear of death and judgment. In fact, he says he'll transform you. You'll be adopted into his family. Verse 9, Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. Zacchaeus is redeemed and restored. After a life separated from God and the people of Israel, he now gets to call God Father and Lord. He is a son of Abraham. Well, four, three, two, what's the one? Well, Jesus leaves us with one big surprise. See, throughout this sermon, I've been saying that Zacchaeus was searching for Jesus. He wanted to see him. He wanted to find out who Jesus was. And it just so happened that Jesus was passing through Jericho. But ask yourself, why had Jesus decided to come to Jericho? Did he want a a stick of rock and a fridge magnet from the souvenir shop? Well, of course not. Look at verse 10. Jesus says, For the Son of Man came to seek 
and to save the lost. Why had Jesus come to Jericho? Well, he'd come to find Zacchaeus. He'd come to rescue him and save him. He'd gone out of his way to get to that sycamore tree and call Zacchaeus down. Well, friends, Jesus is looking for you. This morning he calls you. He says, come down from your throne. Come down from your lofty position. Leave your selfishness and your guilt and your sadness behind. And ask Jesus to be your saviour and your king. And you can have a relationship with the Son of God who died on a cross and rose again on the third day so that your sin might be 